So good to see everybody out tonight. It is, it is good. Good to be in the house of the Lord. We get to study His Word. So we're continuing this fourth part here in the power of prayer and how tonight God provides in our prayers. You thought I was going slow this morning. We're, we're really, we're taking seven words tonight. God's Word is meant to be taken in as food. Amen? It's good to chew on food slowly, my mom always told me. You get all the nutrients out of it that way. And so tonight, we're going to pick up verse 11 here in Matthew chapter 6. This 13th study in the Sermon on the Mount. This is where we're nearly, well, we've been in this little mini-series now for seven months. Simply the Savior. All these things that came right from the heart of Jesus. It is a joy to be here tonight with you. And so, before we turn our attention to these seven words, and ask that God would bless us and his presence by his spirit would be here with us. Lord, we have just such a love for you. And we pray that our attentiveness and our, our hearts being inclined towards your word that would be proof that we really want to hear from you. And so, God, as we spend time studying your word, Lord, just taking it all in, uh, would we be enriched and grown? Would you take care of the very deepest things that reside within us? Lord, we believe that prayer is the key to unleashing uh, your power in our lives. And we ask that you would now bless us. Speak to us. We ask it in Christ's amazing name. Amen. Well, again, as we're not even halfway through the Lord's Prayer, again, in this manner, therefore pray. Remember the, the picture here. The goal is, is for us to then take these words as a, as a model, a way that we can kind of say, what, what should the content of a really great prayer have in it? And that's why this prayer is so important. That's why we're taking it so slowly. Is that it's not to be echoed word for word verbatim. Because that would be to do exactly what the Lord Jesus said not to do. Don't, don't use vain repetitious prayers. In other words, not just repeat these words. But model your prayer life after the content of these words. Get the deep meaning of this. And so as he says, in this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Hallowed be thy name. Or your kingdom come, his kingdom, not yours, not mine, his will, not your will, not my will, not some church's will, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then verse 11, our focus for tonight. And give us this day our daily bread. You're probably thinking, how's he going to stretch this to 45 minutes? Give us this day our daily bread. And I want you to start thinking about those seven words. You know, sometimes when I teach expository preaching... I always ask people to focus in on the things that are not obvious. There's a lot of words in here that have a non-obvious meaning in the rendering of the sentence. Give us this day our daily bread. could almost be like a gimme thing. Well, just give me my bread. I don't think that's what the Lord's trying to teach us. You see, as the Lord authored this, this prayer, the disciples' prayers, he began to speak to us. Last time we saw God's purpose for our prayers and God's plan for our prayers, and tonight how God provides in our prayers. If you look a little further down through this amazing prayer, you're going to see three things. And those three things are so important because they tie into this morning's message. If you remember, you're three-part as a human being, amen? You're a body, you're a mind, and you're a spirit, if you want to look at it that way. Your body, soul, spirit. Three-part person. If you look at verses 11 to 13 in this prayer, you're going to find that this little section 
addresses all three parts of our humanness because it speaks to our present life, the daily bread. It speaks to our past life, the debts that we have incurred. And it speaks to our future life, the temptations that we will face because the devil is very real. Do you see those three parts? It looks at your physical life because your physical life, you need your daily bread, amen? You need your mental, your emotional life because that's what gets racked in your debts, amen? Do you see it? You see the emotional, do you, do you see the mental that goes along? How many people struggle with some kind of pain in their life, some kind of problem in their life because of their past debt of sin? I talked to many today as I was greeting people at the door, people that had carried around burdens for most of their life. That emotional part of us, the mental part of us. And thirdly, how about your spiritual life? Because your life going forward is a life in the spirit, amen? Matter of fact, you're heading to heaven as a child of God. So one day it's going to be all spiritual. And so in this first part, as God provides in our prayers, he says, give us this day our daily bread. And you know, it's a genuine concern in New Testament times uh, than as now for the Lord to take care of his people. And so many of us, you can look at these things and, you know, you can take the legalistic view of it and it's just like, well, you know, maybe we should only have bread or, or maybe we should be, you know, trying to get by on less. And that's really not the focus here. The focus is God's provision. It's what he wants to do for his kids. And it's a completely understandable uh, sidetrack, if you will, for the body of Christ to look at these things and, and to bring it to that place where we look at it and go, Lord, am I, am I consuming too much? Am I, am I not caring about other people? That also is a concern. But that's not the chief concern in this passage. Because God really is giving us a model of how we are to pray for him to take care of us. And I want to show you five things. Now remember, there's only seven words. So we're going to tear this apart pretty deeply. I want to show you five things from these seven words. First is the provision itself. Notice that at the end of the sentence is a simple word, bread. It was the staple food. It wasn't bread like we know it. It wasn't those wonderful loaves that you can go in. They have all kinds of seeds and grains. And, you know, it's, you got your sunflower seeds and your crushed wheat kernels and some roasted oat. It wasn't anything like that. It was usually a very dense, more of like a, a pita that had too much flour in it. It was, it, was a, it was a staple of the diet of the people. And it was pretty much all that they had. So when you think about bread, you need to think about what's being said here because it really has a picture that's bigger than just the bread itself. And here's why I think that. Because for them at that time, bread was life. You didn't have bread, you didn't last very long. And so it's a picture of the total provision that God makes in our lives. We live in a very complex environment compared to the Middle East uh, at the time Jesus was on this earth. Then you, ne- you needed a handful of things. You needed water. You needed bread. You needed a little bit of heat during the winter, something to cover your body. And that was about as far as people really thought. And they thought about it in the context of making it from one day to the next. And so when it says, give us this day our daily bread, it's talking about everything that you really needed. Notice I used the word need. I did not use the word want. I did not say that God is going to give you everything that you want because this prayer is asking for us to ask of him for everything we really need. And believe it or not, that's not an 86-inch big screen. Believe it or not, that's not the fifth car, the sixth car, that's not a bigger house. And all those things, none of them, I want to be really careful here. Not necessarily bad that you have those things, but they are not needs. Not in any shape or form are some of the things that we pray for actually needs. 
Needs are those things which sustain you. Needs are those things which are necessary for the basic carrying out of your life. So Jesus isn't saying, hey, just, you know, pray for everything you want. You see, the provision is for what we have need of. And I want to really kind of focus in on some of this tonight because it's marvelous as we understand. Now think about it. Who is this? This is God, and we're going to look at him next. And these five pieces, as you think on these things, super important for us to understand exactly what's going on here. Because as we look at these five pieces, we're going to look at his provision. We're going to look at who the provider is. We're going to see how that petition works. We're going to look at who the partakers are. And then finally, what the plan is. Those five things in those seven words. You see, as you think on this, when when you're talking about provision for you, when you're talking about what it is that we need, you're actually praying to the one person who can actually do that. And we'll look at him next. But he's the maker of heaven and earth. And, And so when you think about it, everything that we know is our real world, matter, energy, space, time. We're all created by God. And so he is more than capable of giving you everything you need. Paul, speaking in his own life, reminded us, and we'll look at this when we get into the book of Philippians, one of probably most everyone's favorite passage. If you have one, this is probably on the list. Paul speaking about God's own provision in his life in Philippians 4. Or even in Thessalonica, it says in verse 16, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And indeed, I have all and abound. I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that were sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And it goes on to say there in verse 19, Philippians 4, one of those great verses, and my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen? To all our needs, his, his provision, his provision is for our needs. And so this part of this prayer is not just a p- petition. It's not just something that we're asking. It's actually an affirmation of the provision. It's like when somebody gives you something, you're supposed to say thank you, amen? You know, somebody walks up and they hand you a $100 bill, you say thank you. Not, oh man, I wish you'd give me two. We pray like that sometimes, don't we? We're not praying for needs. You've already got more than you need. He gave you the hundred, but you'd rather have two so so there's no affirmation of the goodness of the provision. And I think this is a huge mistake in the lives of a lot of believers because we're not looking for God to provide. We're looking for him to go exceedingly beyond anything that we could possibly imagine. And when he doesn't do that, we somehow feel like he's not providing for us. You drive down Vermont, you get down to Lameda Boulevard, and you look at those people that live out there in the field underneath the, the freeway, and you get a very different sense of need. Amen? If you don't, there's something seriously wrong with your point of view. You get a very different sense of what need actually is when you bump into somebody that's carrying their life in a backpack. We need to get a little bit further to looking towards that as a point of focus as opposed to what we're used to in our world. And back in the 1960s, the average size of an American home was slightly under 1,200 square feet. Did you know today, nationwide, the average, the average size of an American home today in 2015, this is just announced, Urban Housing Development puts these studies together. It's over 2,400 square feet. That's the average size of a house. Now, to give you an idea, in Jesus' time, the average house was about 100 square feet. It was a 10 by 10 room. Average size of a family was seven. So in 100 square feet, seven people lived. In our country, the average family is now less than four on average. 
It's a mom, a dad, and generally one and a, about 2.75 kids. I don't know what 2.75 of a kid looks like, but it's about 1.275 kids. It's not even two children. We're not actually having enough children to maintain our population currently. So if you're married, get busy. I want to see more kids, otherwise we're going to all fade from the earth. So you can kind of see how we've started to get a little tweaked in our thinking about what needs are. Can you see that? A family that was grateful for 100 square feet was seven. And then we have families that are ungrateful for houses that are 25 times that size with one quarter of the people in them. Did you know that the average American family now owns more than three televisions? The average in America is now like 3.2. Again, I don't know what the two-tenths of a television is, but it's what the statistics bear out. It's just based on sales of televisions and the population. So we have kind of a tweaked sense of what provision actually is. And I want to just encourage you as we finish this study up tonight... Think on what your needs are. And if you look at God's provision according to what you really need, I guarantee you, you're going to be blessed. Because he has done so far and above. If you've got a car, if you have a car, that puts you in the top 20% of all people on this earth. Did you know that? If you even have one. You're in the top 20% of all blessedness in material things just by owning a car. If you own a home, you're now up in the 10 percentile range if you actually own a home. Now think about your needs again. Take a little adjustment time. Think on what you actually need. You see, we need to affirm that God has absolutely Just as James said there in James 1 and verse 17, for every good, perfect gift is from above, comes down from our Father of lights. In him there's no variation, there's no shadow of turning in God. He's just good and he provides for us. Praise the Lord. Amen? So he says, give us bread. Pray for your needs. I think we can all stand to pray a little less loudly for our wants doesn't mean our wants are necessarily outside of God's care or touch or concern. But remember that it's needs that God wants us to focus in on. The second thing, the provider. And notice that at the beginning of the prayer, it's very clear who the provider is. We're praying to our Father. Amen? Notice it doesn't say your boss. It does not say your bank account. It does not say the United States of America. It does not say Social Security. It it does not say wise financial stewardship. It doesn't say any of those things. Some of those things are all a component part of how God does what God does. But it says our Father who is in heaven. The provider of everything that you have is neither you nor anyone else on this planet. He's being addressed in this. We we, we have a tendency to think we earn our own money. Can I tell you, you've never earned anything in your entire life, ever, in that sense. And I'm speaking from a biblical perspective here, not that you haven't worked hard. But God actually gave you the body with which you can work. He gave you the mind with which you understand things. He gave you the resources so that you could even make it to work. He's the one that gave the guy the idea for the job that you currently have. So everything, whether we see it on a constant basis or not, actually comes from him. It doesn't come from you. It's not from your industriousness. Now, having said that, of course, we need to use the things that God's given us that he has provided because he's the provider. We need to use those things as best as we possibly can in good stewardship. But at the end of the day, God takes his hand off of your life and provision. In an instant, everything you have could be gone because he's provider. It's him. When all our needs are met, all is going well, we're we're inclined to think that we're carrying our own load. But at the end of the day, every one of us owns 
all our provision to God. Your house is actually his house. Your cars, his cars. The money in your bank account actually belongs to him. All came from him. It all belongs to him. The earth and the fullness of it, Scripture says, is the Lord's. You see, when we start praying that way, we're praying for him to give us the needs of our lives, and we're actually asking somebody who can do something about it. So many people, you probably, everyone, maybe, maybe everyone in here has been touched by the economy for the last you know, decade and a half, really. Where it's kind of there were great jobs that turned into kind of mediocre jobs, turned into disappearing jobs, amen? And all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're thinking you're investing your time and your talent and your treasure into some business enterprise and all of a sudden that business enterprise is no longer here. Uh, It's been shipped away to some other part of the country or maybe some other country. We, We have a tendency to think that businesses are our provider. There is one named Jehovah Jireh. He is God who provides. Deuteronomy chapter 8 says this in verse 18, for you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to gain wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And then it shall be if by any means that you forget the Lord your God and follow after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. In other words, what the Lord was telling the Israelites through Moses the prophet at that time was that, hey, look, I've given you everything, serve me. And the moment you forget it, get prepared to see some of your stuff disappear. Because one of the Ten Commands is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Amen? And so the Lord keeps constraints, controls on the things that he allows into our lives because he's the one that gave them to us. And as the nations of which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. So God really kind of says, as long as you're obedient, here's some stuff and you can have it. It's yours to use but use it for my glory and for my kingdom because he provided it for you. Our life, our breath, our health, our possessions, our talents, the opportunities all originate from the resources of God. Your mind was created by God. This isn't just the natural course of you studying hard. It was created by God. Acts chapter 17 verse 24 says this, a God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives all life, breath, and all things. God doesn't need us. Mankind's been responsible for some pretty cool stuff. We're building some pretty crazy buildings around the world right now. It seems like Saudi Arabia has kind of like, you know, a one-upsmanship kind of thing on the whole building of very tall buildings. They're, they're now working on one that's going to top out at over 3,000 feet. That's more than a half mile tall. That's crazy. 3,000 feet tall. And yet all 3,000 feet of it belong to God. You see, after scientists make their observations and postulations and calculations, there still remains an awful lot more questions than there are answers about how we got here and how this stuff exists and why it stays together. And the reason being is God has retained that knowledge for himself. He hasn't told us everything. A man kind of wants to push God to the side and say, oh, look what we've done. And in fact, one of the, the great dangers in our, in our world is falling into the temptation, the, the believing that God is unnecessary. One of those great traps, certainly the, the theory of evolution, that somehow that, you know, somewhere in the universe there was a lightning strike, which we can't actually explain how the energy got into the universe. 
without it being created because if you know Newton's laws, no energy can be created. It can only be transformed into one form or another. No matter can be created. It can only be transformed into one form or another. Newtonian physics is very, very clear on these things. So all the matter in the universe either has always existed or it was created from nothing. It's that simple. It's basic theory of the standard physical model of our universe. And so when you think about everything that we have, the the main reason that people have been searching for some other answer apart from in the beginning God is because they don't want the conclusion that that brings. Because if in the beginning God, if that's your postulate at the beginning of your thought process, that means that there is a God. And if there's a God, then we might actually have to do what he says or maybe be somehow beholden to him. And people don't like that. And yet this stuff that we see in the universe is all his. And we as Christians believe that God did exactly what he said he did. He created the universe and everything in it. I have no problem believing that. Matter of fact, it makes sense when I look at the world around me. I want to keep that biblical worldview that all things indeed do continue as they were when God created them until that place, as Peter clearly defined for us in 2 Peter 3. You see, the world was was transformed at the flood, and so the world that once was perished. The things that we see now today were affected by a global cataclysm. The world that God created prior to the flood, we can't see anymore. It got completely, he did an earth makeover, basically. So all the things that we see, God created. I have no problem believing that God created the entire universe and everything in it. And when I look at it that way, that leaves him in the position of providing everything. Whether he made the component parts, whether he simply made you and made me and made our minds, made us who we are, and all of a sudden we're starting to work through some of these things that are going on in our head and it results in medical advances or wonderful technologies or somehow, you know, think about it. When I was born, and I'm not that old, amen, hallelujah, thank you for that. When I was born, most aircraft were not jet aircraft. They were still prop aircraft. A vast majority of the Second World War were fought with battleships like the the Iowa and aircraft carriers that had prop planes on them. And in my lifetime, we went from that to landing on the moon, to putting satellites out past Pluto doing incredible things. But you know what we've never done? We've never made matter. We've never made energy. We've never fabricated any more time than God already created when he said in the beginning, God. And so when you look around the world, if you look for the fingerprints of God, you'll find the fingerprints of God. Basic laws of nature were even put in place by the Lord himself. So when you look at your world, it's very easy for us to say, and in fact, when we get to our study in the book of Colossians, we'll spend some time on this very thing. But there in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, For he is the image of the invisible God, he being Jesus, firstborn over all creation. He is the prototypical one of all creation. In other words, he was the uncreated one from whom creation would come. For by him all things that were created in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible. You see, can you imagine people writing 2,000 years ago thinking that the things that you have in this world were made up of invisible things? And yet the Bible clearly declares that truth. Whether thrones, dominions, principalities, powers... All things were created through him and for him. There's a creator, God, and he is the provider. He's made it all. He's the head of the body of the church. 
And he was at the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that all things may have preeminence in him. You, you see, he has the ability to give us what we need because he created everything. All we've done is take the stuff that he already made and change its shape. That's it. That's all we've been able to do. That's why it's interesting when you look at the study of physics currently and where it's at. That wonderful large hadron collider that's there in in Switzerland, when you look at how they're accelerating particles trying to to come up with the, the Higgs boson particle, the God particle, the reason they're doing that is because from our perception in our universe, in in standard physical model of the universe, there are six quark components, there are six lepton components, and those are protons and neutrons and electrons, those types of things. And there's four forces. There's gravity, electromagnetism, strong and weak electromagnetism. And so when you look at those things, our universe supposedly has all that. The only problem is when they look at the universe, there's not enough mass in it to keep the stars from crashing into each other. So they're looking for a particle that they can't actually see because as far as they're concerned, it should be there because the effect of it's there. And so they're looking for this thing called the God particle. I think the God particle may actually just be God. (laughs) He provided everything. When you look at our physical universe... Somewhere between 95 and about 98.7% or so of the known universe is comprised of things that now are called dark matter and dark energy. And the reason they say that is because you can't see them. And without that dark matter and dark energy, the whole universe would collapse. I just think God made everything. He can provide anything because he created everything. Don't forget who he is. When you think about God, don't have a small God. Have a big God. Have a God that's able to do anything that you could possibly ever imagine in your entire life. If you can think it, he's already been there. If you can build it, he already gave you the parts to do so. Because you're not going to be able to create any new you know, elements to add to the periodic table. God's the provider, and he's given us everything that we need. The third thing, the petition. Notice what's asked there. It said, please give us, give. Not we're entitled to. Not I, I, I'm demanding. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a question. That's not obligatory. Think about the way Jesus is asking us to pray. That's the heart of this because it recognizes our own need and our own inability to meet our own need. Do you see it? We see the need, but we also see that we can't do it. That there's no way in the world we can take care of ourselves. You see, when God does something, he does it well. And by the way, he, he will give you what you need now. He already gave you in the past because you're here. Amen? You see that? God's always been faithful to you. Other, otherwise, uh, you wouldn't be here. You would have passed away from your lack of having your needs met. But you're here. So God met your needs. And he promised to do so. Turn over to Psalm 37, if you would. I want to spend a little bit of time there. This very view here, as David records these things, we can pray confidently. We can pray because God has abundantly promised to do these things. It says there in verse 3 of Psalm 37, Trust in the Lord and do good. It says, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, in verse 10, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And he goes on in verse 11, yet for a little while a wicked man will be no more, but the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in the abundant prosperity. You you see, when we treat God's things God's way and we ask of him, we just simply say, Lord, would you please give me 
what I have need of. He delights in that type of heart. And God loves to give good gifts to his kids. God doesn't love necessarily to to listen to a bunch of whining and grumbling. That never worked with the children of Israel very well. They were kind of well practiced with that particular uh, mindset when they were wandering in the wilderness. But But the Lord loves to give to his kids. Those of you that are parents in this room, you know exactly how this is. When your kids ask of you, it's actually a joy to try and meet their need, isn't it? I know it is for me. It's not because I want to spoil my kids. I just love to see them doing well. I like to see smiles on their face. I love to know that, that, that they're doing okay. And so it brings me joy as a father to make that kind of provision in my kids' lives. And he does that for his children. David speaks that we should, we should be believers because we trust in the Lord. We should be believers because we delight in the Lord. We are believers because we commit our way to the Lord. We rest in the Lord. We patiently wait in the Lord. We cease from anger and we do not fret in the Lord. You, you see, God is at work doing those things for us. And in fact, by the time you get to verse 25, notice what it says, for I have been young and now I am old. And yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging for bread. Throughout the total time of his existence on this earth, he had seen God faithful through absolutely every day of his life. And a fourth thing, notice who the partakers are of this amazing provision through our wonderful provider. It's the us. Give us. Give us this day. That's believers, folks. That's not just everybody. And that's why this model for this disciple's prayer really applies chiefly foremost and almost in a sense exclusively because God is only bound to his children. He's bound to his children. He may be provisionally active in the lives of all people just simply because he's good, but he is bound by his own promise to his kids. He is bound by his own promise to his children, to the us in this prayer. That's anybody who names the name of Christ. Give us this day our daily bread. Paul, as he was speaking to believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, put it this way in verse 10. And now he he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. For you will be enriched and in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. You see, that's a promise to the kids. That's a promise to you and I. That's the you, that's the your, that's the us. That's as we walk with the Lord. We're partakers in this amazing provision. Jesus himself, Luke chapter 18, verse 29, says it this way, truly I say unto you, that there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times as much as that time and in the age to come in eternal life. No matter what you think you've given up, you'll receive infinitely more because you're part of the us, because you're one of God's kids. God irrevocably commits himself to us to, to meet our essential needs because we're part of his family. He providentially answers prayer, but he attends unto the needs uh, of his kids. People often ask me, you know, well, what about the poor all over the world? There is a direct, and I want to I just say this fairly boldly, there is a direct correlation between the wealth and the prosperity of nations like the United States of America, and we are nearly alone in the world in this regard now. You used to used to find the same situation in much of Europe, but that's waning. Great Britain, to be sure. Uh, Australia, another country that is largely Christian. And, and the key here is largely Christian. A Christian worldview produces a right picture of what we do with the stuff that God's given us. That's where it comes from. And I can prove that to you. 
As you look around the world, you look at the nations that are predominantly not Christian, specifically nations that are largely Muslim, there is tremendous, pervasive, and deep injustice to humankind. When you look at countries that are predominantly Hindu, look at India as a prime example. Out of them flowed Buddhism and and Jainism and Sikhism. You, You see, as you look at those countries you'll find that their lack of understanding of who the provider is and lack of understanding of the value that we have as God's creation has produced the poverty. It has actually produced the system whereby people are taken advantage of. When you travel to India, human life has almost no value. Animal life has far more value in India. And I don't say that to shame anyone. But when you look at the country, in a country where a vast majority of the people are starving, cows are fat and happy. Rats are fat and happy. Bugs are fat and happy. And people are dying from starvation. Why? Because they do not believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And consequently, everything is viewed in some way karmic. And so you better not step on an ant. You can't kill that rat. You shouldn't kill the cow because the cows are actually considered to be the bearers of deity. They may be one of the multiple tens and hundreds of thousands of Hindu gods. And so if you have you know, a god cow in your pasture, you certainly can't kill it and eat it. And so they're not part of the us. And so poverty reigns, lack of those needs being met. It comes directly from that attachment to the provider. It's not because we don't have enough arable farmland. It's only about 15% of the arable land in the world is actually used for productive agriculture. Most of it is being farmed, but only about 15% of it productively. And it's almost entirely here in the United States. Why? Because we had originally, and we're leaving them quickly, Christian moorings, Christian underpinnings. There was a sense that God, by his mighty hand, had been provider. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created by God as equals. So we had a common bound It was like, look, I'm you, you're me. What's good for you is good for me. What's good for me is good for you. That's a biblical principle. It's being part of the us. And that spills over, of course, into people's lives where we want to show them the goodness of the Lord. And that's why when you look around the world, uh, a vast majority of those organizations that feed the sick and the homeless and the poverty-stricken are almost exclusively Christian organizations. Not entirely, but almost exclusively. And certainly the ones that make the money go the furthest are almost all Christian organizations. You look at what Samaritan's Purse does with every dollar as opposed to what the World Health Organization does with every dollar, you're going to see a massive difference in how much food actually makes it to people and how much of it goes to an office building in New York. That is God's plan. He he gives us those resources. And so as we close the plan for God's provision, notice that his plan is in the word daily. Give us this day. This day. Give us our daily bread. Man, we freak out if we don't have everything nailed down for the next hundred years, don't we? And yet God leaves an element of faith in our lives in provision. And whether you see it, live it, and act on it, and I think we're all guilty. I'm certainly guilty of this at times. There are days when I look at it, like, oh, you know, what are we going to do next week? My concern is supposed to be, as Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow because tomorrow has enough care for itself. You worry about today. Because our Father in heaven knows what we have need of, amen? And he supplies those things. And so God's plan is for his daily provision for his children. 
In that sense, the Lord asks us to take him by faith one day at a time. He may give us for vision for work. He may give us vision for the future. And that doesn't mean that it's wrong to have savings accounts. It's actually right to have savings accounts. It's fine to have investment accounts. It's good to have you know, it, some equity in your home and to have your car. Those are all good things. But we don't look to those things to be our provider. We look to God to provide our daily needs. What we have need of today. It doesn't say monthly, doesn't say weekly, doesn't mean that he doesn't work that way. But we're to look to him and be satisfied in, in him taking care of today. You know how much stress that would take out of the average American life if we actually lived this way? Think about it for a second. Look at your own life. There's not one person in here. There's not one person in here. I will prophesy of you. There is not one person in here who's going to starve to death tomorrow. Not one. You're not. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't have legitimate needs. But I want you to see something. God actually has taken care of your needs how he said he would. Give us this day our daily bread. He's already done that. You got enough stored fat on all of you. You're good. You're going to be okay for a few days. So he's already been good to you. Amen? We could live a long time. You don't go very long without without water. But without food, most of us can last a few weeks. So he says, look, look to me daily. In Exodus 16, God's plan has always been a plan of faith for his kids in his provision in our lives. You you see, he he wants us to look to him for what's being provided, for who it is that provides it, for who is asking for it, for who receives it. And then when it's provided for is that daily picture for us. In verse 1 of Exodus 16, and they journeyed from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month. And after they departed from the land of Egypt, then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, So think of this. Man, isn't this like us in our world today? Isn't this just like us? Man, I I can so identify because God has been so good and so wonderful and so gracious and so generous to me personally, to my family, to my wife, Connie and I, to our children, to my whole family. God has been so good. He's delivered us. A vast majority of my family is not only knows the Lord, but walking with the Lord. My sons are, God has been good. God has been good. And yet, sometimes we, we kind of turn into whiners for Christ. Amen? We kind of, we Lord. And there it says, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out here in the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, the whole assembly with hunger. And then in verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in. It shall be twice as much as they gather daily. You see, God has always taken care of his kids one day at a time. He wants to leave us walking in faith. That's not comfortable at times. Admittedly, it's not comfortable at times. Amen? To walk by faith, not by sight. It's not comfortable at times to pray this prayer. Lord, Give us, give me, give my family who loves you this day our daily bread. I'd rather pray, Lord, could you give us enough material resources that we don't have to worry about bread ever again? Isn't that how we pray in our Western world? 
Give me so much stuff that I don't ever have to talk to you again about this whole bread thing, okay? I'm not into the bread conversation anymore with you, God. But I want you to see that the Lord really wants us to talk to him daily about the stuff that we have need of. So the provision, he provides it. The provider, it's the same God who created it. The petition, who's asking for it? That's you, me, that's every believer. The partakers, that's those who who love the Lord. And the plan, it's when God provides it, it's daily. It's never late. Just as David said, I've never seen my people begging for bread. And we can trust him with that. So let's make sure we're praying for his provision in a way that honors him. Because he is good. And if you'll ask him, he'll prove it to you. Amen? Let's pray. Have the prayer team come forward. Maybe you've been struggling in this area of your life, trusting God, believing that he's as good as he says he is. Oh, brothers and sisters, he is good, and his mercy endures forever. He delights to give good gifts to his kids. And so as the prayer team comes forward and as we have people available, maybe you just need a tune-up in your prayer life. You need to pray with somebody so that you can pray like this. This is a hard prayer to pray. Because we, we like to have things laid out in advance. We, we, we like to eliminate faith very often. I want to just encourage you. You're going you're gonna to find living by faith is not only amazing, but it leaves God as God. It keeps you needing him, keeps you humbly seeking uh, the one who loves you. And so if you need prayer, we're going to worship a little bit, prayer team up front. If you are at that time of the evening where you start getting sleepy and you need to go, you know, after we've had a song or two, feel free and I'll dismiss you in a couple of minutes. But let's make sure that we ask the Lord to give us this day our daily bread, that we seek his provision, that we honor him as provider. We make our petition to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that we in fact are partakers of his blessing and that ultimately it's his plan that we want to see in place. Amen? Amen.